Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Today on Truth and Movies. Up first, it's a double will. Will Smith stalks himself in Ang Lee's 3D sci fi thriller Gemini Man. Why is it so hard for you to kill this man? Then the legendary satirist Chris Morris returns with the FBI farce The Day Shall Come. Perhaps your army needs weapons. No, we don't believe in guns. And in Film Club, the Manhattan upper class have their lives flip turned upside down by the Fresh Prince in Six Degrees of Separation. A neighbor described the teacher as a nice boy. Always reading, Catcher in the Rye. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, hello there, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader here, sitting in the host chair, sitting across from Adam Woodward. It's been a while, Adam. It has. Where I've have been, you been? I've been uh, jetting off. I was in Japan for like three weeks, mm-hmm. just on holiday. Very nice. I managed to miss a lot of the hashtag discourse around s- certain films that were that were out recently. But yeah, lovely place. Mm-hmm. Feel very refreshed. Oh, ready to get uh, stuck into these these films. Yes, welcome back, and welcome back too to Darren Richmond. Hello. It's been about a year, hasn't it? It has, yeah, maybe a little bit more than a year. Yeah. I think the last time I was here we were doing The Equaliser too. so yeah, I feel like good to be back. How that film has endured in our minds. <laughs> Absolutely right, <laughs> perhaps only mine. But before we get to new releases, we do have a bit of follow-up from last week. We got a letter here from Nath saying, Morning, Truth of Movies team, I put off listening to your podcast until I watched Joker over the weekend. Ever since watching an early trailer last year, it's been a highly anticipated film for me, mainly because of Joaquin Phoenix's back catalogue, which I love, from The Master, Inherent Vice, and You Never Really Hear. Three films that totally won me over, as well as Her, which showed his lighter, nerdy side. So you can imagine my disappointment with Joker. I can't actually tell you why I disliked it, as it has all the elements there on screen for me. A visually amazing backdrop, an outstanding leading man. I can't understand why it didn't gel for me. Lack of plot, lack of direction... An obvious outcome on the chat show. Even the dialogue seemed forced and obvious. I wanted to like this film so much, but with every scene not really capturing me, I did start to question when it was going to pick up and start getting better in some form or another, but to no avail. Anyway, Nate, thank you so much for that email. We had all sorts of comments, didn't we, from listeners for that Joker episode last week. It's a divisive film. Uh, Adam, did you get to see the film? Yeah, people were angry at us. Um, I did see the film. I caught it quite late, but... uh so yeah, my, my, I think my anticipation was definitely coloured by mm-hmm. some of the responses back and forth that have been going on, uh, especially on film Twitter, as, as it's called. Yeah, this is a film for me that I mean, all, pretty much all of the points that Nathan yeah. picks up on there, I agree with. But I think the, there was a, a really good tweet I saw from Clarice Lowry, I believe, yeah. and she sort of said that in basic terms, when you have a film like this without the main character's foil being Batman. There's not not really anywhere for you to go with the character. Mm-hmm. He kind of really needs that person to bounce off that that nemesis. Um, and I think, yeah, you kind of flip that idea of like a superhero film is only as good as its villain. Mm-hmm. Well, this is kind of like the inverse of that. And yeah. I think this really suffers just fundamentally without having that, that tension and that conflict. Darren, you're seeing this on Friday, so we need you to send us your comments yeah. and see, if, see whether it's going to be a full house of Little White Lies contributors here who <laughs> haven't been so hot on the film. I am intrigued. I mean, the one thing I found fascinating is quite a lot of the writing I've done in my life has been about football, mm-hmm. and it feels like the kind of tribalism that I see when people respond to articles about football, I've never quite seen it for a film the way it has been with this one. Yeah. Well, we, we talked about it at great length last week. Do go back to the episode and see if you agree with us or don't. 
many people haven't. There are some great reviews out there. Jessica Kiang wrote a fantastic review out of Venice about the film, and Robbie Collin as well. It's just clearly dividing people. But that's Joker. What else is going on in film world? Well, actually, we're right in the middle of the London Film Festival, aren't we, Adam? So. Yeah. We should talk about how that's going. How, what, have you been to see much? Yeah, I mean, so I, I got back uh, just over a week ago, so I was sort of thrown straight into this. And it's actually one of those things where it's on your doorstep and mm-hmm. you somehow manage to miss it, just passes you <laughs> yeah. by. Uh, I have been trying to get out to see things. I've been actually running around doing a few interviews as mm. well, which has been really fun. Darren, I know you said you caught up with The Lighthouse recently. Yeah, I saw The Lighthouse on Saturday night, which was quite an exhilarating experience it was very exciting for me and my wife because we're massive fans of the witch and as Mm. we walked in the sort of three main stars of the witch including ralph innocent were there on the red carpet it was very sweet that they were going to support um their old friend robert eggers was there willem dafoe was there and it is uh well worth checking out but it's not going to be out until january yeah it's taking a while to come out it's coming out in the states very soon yeah I saw that in Cannes. That was one of the best films I saw at Cannes. And it's, I can't wait for the general populace to see it. It yeah, really I'd, is a ride. The two comparisons I'd read going in were Steptoe and Son and There Will Be Blood. <laughs> so I was very excited. And uh, yeah, it didn't disappoint. Yeah. Well, I haven't really been to see anything at the LFF this year. Adam, you're very, very right. It's quite hard sometimes when you're doing the day job. And even though it's on your doorstep and you could just go and wander out and see a film, it's quite hard to find time. What I have been doing this year, I've been doing more red carpets than ever as part of my day job at Film 4, and they had a quite a crop of new filmmakers and veteran filmmakers presenting films, so we were on the red carpet for the personal history of David Copperfield, Amanda Inucci's film. We did St. Maud, which is a kind of horror, dramatic horror debut from uh, Rose Glass, quite hotly tipped coming out of Toronto. Mm, I've heard very mixed things on that, but it mm. sounds one to, one to watch, definitely. Yeah, um, and then this coming Friday, we're going for... Uh, the red carpet for the new Sarah Gavron film Rocks, which is a London set coming of age film, completely street cast with loads of girls, really full of energy. And I'm sure that red carpet's going to be amazing. The girls have, uh, I think, got the afternoon off school mm. to, to go and uh, tear up the red carpet. It should be quite fun. But um, I feel so out of the loop. I can't wait to see Knives Out. I can't wait to see uh, Marriage Story. All these films people are lauding to the heavens, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I haven't seen Marriage Story. Knives Out is exceptional. Mm-hmm. It's one of those films that just is exactly what you want it to be yeah. and you want it to start again as soon as the end credits start rolling mm-hmm. um, but I just wanted to throw ahead to a couple of things you say we're pretty much in the middle of the festival yeah. now so it wraps up on Sunday closing night gala being the Irishman mm-hmm. which is obviously the, the hot ticket but there's there's quite a lot of other stuff in the programme that I think people might be interested in Takashi Mika's First Love oh yeah which I think we, we saw that together in, I in saw Cannes. that in Cannes as well yeah and he makes a, a sort of couple of films every year or something like that but this is um, feels like a real return to form mm-hmm. for him. A bit of a flip on the Yakuza gangster genre. Mm-hmm. That's showing on Friday evening. I think right. there's still tickets available for that if people are interested. But definitely one for the genre fans to check out. Also, another can hit was Zombie Child. Mm, yes. Bertrand Bonello. Much more of a sort of cerebral, psychological drama. Um, really, really well acted. Um, didn't really recognise many of the cast. I think it's, it's sort of up-and-coming young actors. Um, but very sort of philosophical and without being too kind of chin-strokey, but he, he makes these just wonderfully evocative films. That's also on Friday, I think, during the day. Deer Skin. I remember that one. Did you see Cannes as well? Yeah, that was uh, the opening night at uh, Director's Fortnight, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that's showing here on Friday and Sunday, and there's still tickets going for that. Uh, these are all mostly in the West End. That's directed by Mr. Wazo. Flat Eric himself. <laughs> um, it's really actually quite good. I saw one of his films. Again, he's he's made quite a few films that I think have mostly received distribution in France, and he, he made a film called Rubber a few years mm-hmm. ago, which is, um, as a kind of proof of concept, it's fine, but fleshed out into a feature, it's a little like, mm, not sure this this really goes anywhere. But this new one, it's got uh, Jean Dujardin in it and um, Adele Hanel. Mm-hmm. It's basically about a guy who is obsessed with this deerskin jacket and basically goes on this crusade to make sure that his is the only jacket in the world it's very comedic but it takes quite a sinister turn Mm -hmm. that I would definitely recommend quite fun fast there's some other stuff Give Me Liberty have you heard of that I'm not saying no what's that one it's quite kind of bleak the director Kirill Mikhanovsky I think he's a Russian or Ukrainian Mm. But it's set in, in sort of blue-collar, working-class America and deals with sort of themes of race and, and, and class and disability as well. So that's been touted as, as, again, one to watch. A little bit more under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, you know, if you missed out on tickets to something like The Irishman, I'd definitely recommend 
checking that out on Sunday. And uh, where can people get tickets for this, Adam? Yeah, if you just go to bfi.org.uk slash LFF. I just checked this morning. So at the time of recording, there's still quite a few tickets left for the films I've just mentioned. So yeah, do go and check some out. A full slate of recommendations there. If you do go to the LFF, let us know what you think at the usual channels. Truth and Movies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at tcolondon.com via email, or there's always the comments section at lwlies.com slash podcast. But for those not in London, we have some new releases to talk about. Up first, Gemini Man. Will Smith stars as Henry Brogan, an elite assassin who is suddenly targeted and pursued by a mysterious young operative that seemingly can predict his every move, and who looks mysteriously just like him, albeit 30 years younger. Let's hear a clip from the trailer. Tell me something. Why is it so hard for you to kill this man? He knew every move of mine before I made it. Right there, take the shot. I wanna be forever young. And he'd be gone, like a ghost. Do you really wanna live forever? Who is he? as good as you he is you a clip from the trailer for gemini man there so adam this is another chapter in ang lee's obsession to make high def 3d work Mm. does it work i mean visually Mm -hmm. as a kind of spectacle i think it's pretty extraordinary and I'm, i'm not sure that I was particularly down with what he was doing for Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk. I don't mm-hmm. think that particular story and that genre necessarily lent itself to this technology. I think this being a sort of sci-fi-infused action film, big Hollywood A-lister in there, feels like it fits better. Mm-hmm. I would caveat this by saying that, that I don't think there's anywhere, certainly not in the UK, I'm not even sure within Europe, that has the the capacity to project this film in the 4K 3D 120 frames per second um, rate. So we saw the film in the West End on the IMAX screen. From what I understand, the effect is essentially you're watching two separate 60 frame per second films. So there's like one in each eye. Mm -hmm. It's quite a strange effect. I think actually, though, I got used to it quite quickly. Mm -hmm. It's distracting initially, if only because seeing these massive movie stars faces in such you know pin sharp definition is distracting because you look at someone like Clive Owen you think this is not uh, <laughs> this is not being kind to him Will Smith looks great actually I mean for his age and, mm-hmm. and obviously his kind of younger self and I think the most impressive thing about that, this film is how seamless the, the uh, reverse ageing job um, they've done on him we should point out it's not de-ageing in the sense that we've seen in the Marvel movies with what they were doing to Samuel mm. L. Jackson and Captain Marvel this is a motion capture CGI creation yeah. so it's very strange going from what I think was really a top class work in Captain Marvel and what we'll see in the, the Irishman as well I'm sure to what we got in Rogue One I think was the last time we saw this where there was a digital human painted over a motion capture performance yeah so essentially Will Smith is giving a double performance mm-hmm. in this film and I think that yeah you need that I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of scenes obviously it being a kind of doppelganger movie where you know he's being pursued and hunted by his younger self mm-hmm. I think you really need to have that sense of the two actors or the, or the two performances being kind of in one mm-hmm. in one space is one of his better performances I've seen certainly in, in a while I mean he's been doing these kind of big concept sci-fi action films for quite a while mm-hmm. now almost kind of exclusively a few sprinkled in with a few fairly naff high concept romance and, and dramas and yeah this this just feels like the, the kind of thing you want from Will Smith yes but he, he feels like that his uh, natural charisma is sort of boxed in in this one right because mm. he's playing a, an older slightly over the hill assassin who's contemplating retirement I think that's the fascinating thing about this film is it you know the doppelganger story works on one level mm-hmm. I think There's, I don't think it really like delves into that theme too deeply but I think 
looking at the this this kind of existential crisis that's, that's sort of happening in Hollywood at the moment, and it's all around like image rights, mm-hmm. and we've seen it with um, you mentioned Star Wars. We've had like Peter Cushing and people yeah. like that being digitally exhumed. This is going to be something that you know increasingly we see more and more of actors now are having to actually you know almost like future proof will smith giving this performance there's a slight strange kind of melancholy tinge to it feeling like well why do we need will smith anymore i mean he's <laughs> he's given the performance and it's obviously this motion capture um, effect which has enabled it but it feels like soon you're going to have this this bank of actors performances that are going to be that you know people at a computer will be able to essentially make new work from and yeah, as I say, I think it's this fascinating juncture in in yeah. in sort of the future of well, not even the future. I mean, it's happening now. This it's is happening fascinating. Right now. Thing. I think that the technology, for me, uh, shows that really you can't recreate Will Smith. When Will Smith is playing Will Smith as his age now, there is so much more natural charisma, movements in his face, micro expressions that you can see that aren't there in the digitally created so, younger so you Will Smith. You weren't convinced by the younger. The not, not fully and there are certain shots where it was still very much in that uncanny valley he didn't look like a real person walking around I was expecting it to feel more like that mm-hmm. and and I think while I agree that you know you can't directly replace Will Smith as he is now because you know you go into this knowing that that is him that is what he looks like this is the age that he is at there is a slight I guess it's like it, it, yeah it's hard to convince you mm-hmm. that this younger version is is, is a kind of living flesh and blood person, but I th- yeah I think that that will gradually change and mm-hmm. we'll just get used to it. I mean, but maybe we will. Within a few years, I can I can imagine this being much more common. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a lot to take on at once. You have the three D high frame rate, high definition plus doppelgangers. Darren, how did that play for you? Were you convinced by well, it all? I think the thing that I was most unconvinced by was that the younger Will Smith was making jokes about the older Will Smith, as in current Will Smith, looking a bit ropey. <laughs> and that doesn't quite work when you've cast Will Smith in that role. My biggest problem with the film was that I think it took far too long to reach the premise. So anyone who's walked around in London or probably anywhere else in the country over the last few weeks would have seen these massive posters saying Will versus Will. Mm -hmm. We all know there's going to be two Will Smiths, one younger one, one current aged one. And it takes quite a long time to get to the point. And they even try and inject a little bit of mystery into Mm -hmm. that. You know, Will Smith isn't quite sure who is this sort of incredible assassin who can predict his every move. But we all know that. We don't need almost 45 minutes or something, I think it was, until it's finally, oh my word, I think they've cloned you. Um, (laughs) The thing I did enjoy about it was that they made absolutely no effort to attempt to explain the science behind it. They just said, mm-hmm. yep, they've claimed you, and that was <laughs> it. This is an action film, we're not going to go into any sci-fi elements. And I quite like that. It's a bit of a Stephen King trick, and it's just, just accept it, it's just mm-hmm. magic, and that's fine. But yeah, m- my biggest problem was how long that took. And what I really wish had happened is that the film has been in gestation, I think, since 97, is mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. I would love to have seen this film made in 1997 when they didn't have the technology to make this work at all because I just think it would be one of those sort of legendarily sort of funny bad films. I guess the way they they would have had to have done it would have actually have the then aged Will Smith playing the younger and then age him up with prosthetics or something Yeah, but it probably wouldn't have worked as well no I mean it really did feel like watching Fresh Prince Will Smith I I did buy it I did kind of suspend my disbelief with that and it was exciting enough and fun enough and it did feel like they were acting in a room together you know it wasn't like those sequences in Back to the Future 3 where they're shooting the back of the head (laughs) when Michael J. Fox is playing another character Um, so, so there were aspects of it that I really enjoyed I just wanted them to get there quicker mm-hmm. I was sat there thinking okay we'll have sort of five minutes at the start where we'll see that he's the best at what he does um, which funnily enough I mean I mentioned The Equalizer 2 before that is an almost identical opening sequence to that <laughs> because that is establishing oh this guy's an amazing killer but here obviously he wasn't on the train but it was still a train sequence where we were learning about our sort of iconic movie star and what he does yeah mainly just really excited to see Benedict Wong 
Benedict Wong, who I, I love the fact that he's in this phase of his career now, post Doctor Strange, where he will just pop up in mainstream Hollywood movies. Yeah, I mean, he's, he will always be the 15 stories high guy to me. Mm-hmm. But seeing him, you know, now he's making these massive films on a quite regular basis and really relishing it. You know, he brought great comic relief to this thing. He's playing the sort of supporting character that we see in a Mission Impossible film as, you know, it's like the Ving Rhames role in a, in a Mission Impossible. He'll just turn up and be a utility guy. But he's so good that he's not just the comic relief mm-hmm. and, the, and the kind of cheap gag guy. I think he's like the best supporting player in this film. Actually, just on, on a side note, he's also in the personal history of David Copperfield. He is indeed, yeah. And he's doing a very convincing Lancashire accent. And I googled this and he's from... He's born in Eccles. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, I mean, you, mo- you mostly see him doing a kind of American, vague American accent. Amazing seeing him actually doing that. Another reason why I like to see him flourish, because mm. I think we were born in the same hospital <laughs> a few years apart, but he's a local boy for me. He was born very close to Marcus Rashford, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting you bring up the fact that this script has been on the shelf for 20-odd years. It does feel like a 90s sci-fi thriller that could have starred, oh, who, uh, maybe Jean-Claude Van Damme, maybe? Would this have been better then, or do you think that it still plays now? I think it still plays. I mean, the Bruckheimer, Jerry Bruckheimer producer, super producer brand is still mm-hmm. going strong, I think, this shows. I think we just don't get that many big action spectacle movies like this, which don't take themselves too seriously. I know what you're saying, about Darren, about um, it takes a little while for the pl- that plot mechanic to kick in, but I think once it does... It just delivers pretty straight action for mm-hmm. for, the, oh, absolutely. for like an hour or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, it is not boring in the slightest, mm. and I think that is the one thing you would fear about a film like this. I was completely entertained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely got a sense of authorship and, and style about it, which is quite unique, I think, quite distinctive. I, I mean, it's kind of weird coming out at this time of the year. It, mm. feel, it feels like I know the blockbuster season seems to stretch on indefinitely now, but it does feel like perfect summer blockbuster fodder in, in the best sense, and I guess there's, there's too much competition from the Marvel DC films which which are released every few months but it definitely feels like it's doing something a bit more interesting I think than a lot of those films Mm -hmm. and it's also not just a kind of schlocky cheap lazy you know action ride that that we have been getting and and I mean it's an original idea I mean how often do we see a huge concept Hollywood movie with an A-lister that is not a reboot or a prequel or a sequel or something. I'd caveat that. It's an original property. Maybe many of the themes and threads you see in this we yeah, have seen it's, before. It, but it's an original script. Yeah, I exactly. mean, it's, and the script isn't the, by, by no means the strongest part <laughs> of this film. But, um, and good to see Will Smith actually showing his, his mm-hmm. muscle a little bit and, and actually getting a film like this made. Yeah, I felt quite conflicted watching this film because for me, Ang Lee is Sense and Sensibility, mm. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Brokeback Mountain. He made these, you know, a, a very diverse body of dramatic work there and he's done a Robert Zemeckis where he's thrown his career fully in all his chips are in on this technology well the turning but, point was Life of Pi I guess yeah, I the guess. first where he fully embraces 3D, this, this type yeah. of filmmaking and there are sequences where it works there's a motorbike chase and motorbike fight sequence that, where a motorbike is used in ways that God didn't, never intended uh, that's quite thrilling with the high frame rate but have we lost films that maybe Yang Lee could have made better in the older mould, do you think? Are you yeah, happy with where I, he's going? I'm, I'm fairly happy. I mean, if this does well, and I'm, I'm not convinced it, it will do, but if this you know, enables Ang Lee to go and make his next prestige drama, mm-hmm. then you know, good on him. I think I'd rather see him do something like this and then maybe take a break and come back with something like a Brokeback Mountain mm-hmm. than, than make a, a Billy Lynn's Halftime War, which for me is kind of a hodgepodge between the two stools. I think he's just someone who had such promise mm-hmm. and had made so many really great movies back to back. Seems to have kind of slipped down this path, and it, and it, yeah, it feels like it's going to be hard for him to kind of get back on that, mm-hmm. you know, climb back into that saddle. But we'll see. Well, let's put some scores on this. Adam, I'll come to you first. So, in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect, I think maybe a four in anticipation uh-huh. because of Ang Lee and because of the presentation of. The f- I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw a film in three D. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is obviously you know necessitated by the the frame rate in which it's shot, but it feels like that that fad has, has sort of you know ten years ago it was like every blockbuster you saw was was projected in three D, and it was often the the fairly shoddy. You know, it wasn't actually filmed in three D; it was mm-hmm. like applied later, but. Yeah, I'd say possibly a four, three in enjoyment and probably three in in retrospect. I like what Will Smith's doing here. Any film in which a character uses a motorbike as a fist is is good good for me. (laughs) Darren? 
I think I would say two in anticipation. What I'd read was that it wasn't great, and mm-hmm. the idea, I think a little like you were saying, of Ang Lee directing a sort of Will Smith big action film, it, it feels like a bit, a bit of a shame to me. I still think of Ang Lee the way you talk about him kind of 15 years ago, Ang Lee. Then sitting there throughout, I was entertained by it, so I'd give it three. And then I'm sort of hovering between two and three for in retrospect. And I'll probably go for three, and it might be bumped up from the two purely because of Will Smith's answer on the red carpet the other day when he was asked, I don't know if you saw this, he was asked if he could go back, you know, his younger self, was there anything he would change? And he said he would go back to the set of Wild Wild West and say to his younger self, why the hell didn't you take the Matrix? (laughs) (laughs) Terrific. I think I might agree there. I'd say three, three, two for this. Quite ironically, this is almost the perfect Friday Night at Home film, but then you can't create the perfect uh, projection and uh, 3D settings at home so I can't imagine watching this on an, on an iPhone or on a plane or I know but it, it's like a nice throwback at a pizza in I don't know the technology doesn't quite convince me but it's nice to see Will Smith trying and speaking of young Will Smith we'll be getting back to him later with uh, Film Club but first we're going to have The Day Shall Come Based on 100 true stories, this new film from Chris Morris exposes a dark farce at the heart of Homeland Security. Newcomer Marshawn Davis stars as a preacher, leading his own small-scale revolution in Miami. He becomes the unlikely target and beneficiary of the FBI's anti-terror activities. Could you walk him across the line? Of course. We give him a fake bomb and the guy tries to use it. We have the next Bin Laden. My mission is to change the lives of poor people without the gun weapon. Let's offer some funds, some automatic weapons. Activating recording. Perhaps your army needs weapons. No, we don't believe in guns. And if necessary, we'll call on the dinosaurs. We believe that at the sound of a trumpet, they will come to our aid. A clip from the day shall come there. So, Darren, I'll come to you first. I had a strange experience the other day where I had to explain to a young colleague who Chris Morris was. And I guess it's been nine years since Four Lions. It's been... Longer than that, 10, 15 years and more since the day today in Brass Eye. Should we be excited for a new Chris Morris joint? I think we should. I think Chris Morris is certainly, for me, one of the most significant satirists maybe this country's ever produced, and certainly of the last 25 years. I actually think that leading up to this film, I'm not sure there's even been a misfire. Mm. I, I mean, the day-to-day, Brass Eye, Four Lions, Jam, all of it. I really am a, a massive fan of his work. I see him as the kind of swift of his day, and he seems to take his time over what projects he's going to do. And like you say, it's been nine years since Four Lions, which I thought was a, a really excellent debut feature film. And yeah, I, th- I was very excited to see this. And did it work for you? Did it pay off? Um I'm afraid I think this is the first misfire of the man's Uh career. I was very disappointed by this. As you alluded to before, he said that, you know, this is based on 100 true stories. Well, why the hell did we get this one? It's written by Jesse Armstrong, who, you know, co-created Peep Show and wrote Fresh Meat and is currently doing Succession, which I think is the best thing currently on TV. It's directed by Morris, Expectation Through the Roof, And it felt to me a little like an overly long, dull episode of Veep, which both of them have worked on. Chris Morris has been directing a few in recent years. Armstrong's written a fair few. It almost felt like a retread to me of Four Lions. You know, even had four kind of ineffectual terrorists. They weren't at the heart of it in the same way. There are some decent moments in it, but I was very, very surprised that he's chosen to make this. And he's been doing the rounds recently, promoting the film, which he did nine years ago. And he, he's usually seen as this kind of dark prince who very, very rarely ventures and is interviewed. And then he is interviewed mm-hmm. and he's a regular guy and he's really interesting about his work. And seeing him on Channel 4 talk about this film and talk about satire and the importance of satire, I mean, that, whatever it was, 20-minute interview... I just wished he'd made that film. I was watching that. I watched it before the film and then I watched it again afterwards. And I I can't believe he's talking about the film that I saw. And actually, I would just urge people, seek that out. You know, find his media appearances recently because he is absolutely fascinating. I'm just not sure he made the film that he's talking about. And where, where does it go wrong for you then? Can you pinpoint that quality? Well, 
I mean, first and foremost, above anything else, it isn't very funny. I mean, I was sat in a packed screening room. It wasn't really getting big laughs. You know, it has that kind of veep, thick of it thing where there's a few zingers chucked out between characters who all kind of despise each other and they have this endless supply in the same way that, you know, they had in Blackadder and then they have it in the thick of it where they will always be handy with a zinger. But actually there wasn't much more to the humour than that and I expect Morris to me is kind of like a Radiohead like figure he had quite a similar background to them and I feel like every single project he's worked on up to this point there's been a very clear progression you look at the day to day then Brass Eye then Jam then Four Lions he's done something completely different every time and then he's made this, which it's impossible to argue this isn't in the same wheelhouse as Four Lions. It's not an identical film by any means. And it also feels a little like, you know, I discussed it with Adam the other day, so I'll let him discuss this. But it does feel a little out of date, which is mm. not something I expect to associate with the work of Chris Morris. Interesting. One thing that comes up in many of those interviews, particularly the one with Jon Snow, is that can we do satire today because the pace of politics and current affairs is so fast. By the time you've written the joke, it's already been out. The absurdity is ratcheted up to another level by those in power. Well, I think, weirdly enough, I was reading on the way in, I'm reading a book by um, is it Tony Lynn, I think, uh, who wrote for Yes Minister. Well, he wrote a book about comedy rules. And one of the things he says is that when they wrote it, they wrote the scripts a year in advance, then they went out and one said oh my god it's up to the minute and he said because the thing is if you pick up a paper from 30 years ago it's about the same issues if you pick one up from 50 years ago it's about the same issues and I think Morris has always been really really good at that if you look at the day to day you know if you were to take an average episode of Have I Got News For You from 1994, it wouldn't work at all. But I think if you watch the day today, it's a satire of what the news is and the way it's presented. And that's what I think is his greatest strength. So I, I don't think where we're at, you know, th- this is what he was pushed on on Channel 4. They were trying to get, you know, with Brexit and with Trump and everything else. Can you even do satire? But of course you can. But he usually does it better than this, I think. Adam, what's your take on Today Shall Come? <clears throat> well, I saw this film quite a few months ago now at the the fairly cosy distributors in-house screening and surprisingly Morris actually turned up which, to give I think what I presume would just be a kind of short um, intro and uh, he proceeded to sort of speak for about 10 minutes about the backstory that kind of led him on this journey to making this film and yeah that that 10 minute intro was was more interesting than the preceding you know 90 minutes of the actual film and unfortunately and you know I just wish as Darren says I wish he'd kind of made the film that I think he that he thinks he's made I suppose it's a tough one because I wonder how much he was actually like hamstrung by you know there's so much goes on behind the scenes I'm sure with like financiers and it feels like a film he's probably been trying to get made for quite a long time I mean the actual incident which sparked this that he's that he's kind of um, honed in on I think happened in, in the sort of mid noughties feels like it's maybe been pulled from that era slightly in, in the way it's styled and even some of the, the jokes. I think you can definitely pick out the stuff that Armstrong has written in terms of the punchlines. And Morris, you know, he, you want to hear from him more directly. As a director, I don't think he's got that sense of like, yeah, that sense of style or authorship quite nailed down. Frankly, I think this could have been directed by anyone. And so when you actually you know, listen to Morris on the TV or radio or whatever and, and, and he's just kind of talking and you, you go kind of direct to source. He's endlessly interesting and fascinating and just so, you know, so on it with his knowledge and insight into all this stuff. And I think the prospect of him coming back with some new material in any form, you know, is very exciting. People have welcomed him with open arms. It's like been too long. And maybe there's a sense of like, this isn't what people wanted from him. You know, he's he's making a film, unlike Four Lions, which felt very timely and felt, you know, very close to kind of home, in, literally, with the sort of narrative that's focused on. Here, I'm not sure how invested I was, really, with, with the story of this US home, Homeland Security project, as he calls it. There's just a little bit of a disconnect for me between... Morris, the satirist that we know and love, and the director who's who's churning out stuff like this, and actually to compare him to a contemporary of his, Armando Iannucci, who has made very sharp satire film work, and something like The Death of Stalin, which was okay, a little bit um, of a sort of alien territory for him, perhaps, but it's just 
he's brought his own style and he's put his own stamp on it. And I think it's very telling that he's now going off and making something like David Copperfield, which is a bit of a move in a different direction for him, but I just think works so well and shows how much he's developed and grown as a, as a filmmaker and a storyteller. And it feels like Morris is still stuck in this single mode. Mm-hmm. Similar to Darren, I was a little bit disappointed simply because my expectations, I think, were just so high. Also, th- I thought that the characters were so thinly drawn. That was probably the biggest issue for me. Is I remember when Four Lions came out, and I was very surprised to hear him referencing things like Dad's Army and stuff like that. He was trying to say, you know, this is like a classic kind of sitcom idea. We got these characters together, and you care about them, even though they're stupid and make mistakes. And here, I didn't care about anyone in this film, which you know is a major, major problem because we were supposed to sort of empathise with the characters, and the end was supposed. To to feel like something and it just didn't for me well you've got essentially you've got these two sides so you have the FBI agents with um, Dennis O'Hare and, and Anna Kendrick and they're obviously not the good guys but then the so-called terrorists the sort of uh, Miami preacher and his tribe they're they're very I mean he's not punching down I don't think Morris but at the same time you don't really I, I, I never felt like I cared about those characters or was invested in, in what they were doing they basically they come across as very deluded and, and almost quite kind of simple and I, f- I feel like the, he, he's just got that wrong a little bit in terms of how to actually engage an audience with a subject through, well, telling that story through someone's perspective that you can actually relate to in some way. I just felt so removed and distant from me. Well, I, I suppose a lot of people are excited about this film because it is the return of this great satirist. And it, it, has that mantle been moved elsewhere? Was, was it on television, Darren? Is it Succession? Is Jesse Armstrong uh, um, used that? I don't, yeah, I don't know about satire in terms of mm-hmm. Succession. And I'm not sure there is an obvious kind of successor to Chris Morris. For me, and this is probably quite a cynical point of view, but... Morris, he did a a radio show early in his career with Peter Cook, who'd probably be like my number one satirist and comedian. And that is a masterpiece called Why Bother? And Peter Cook said when he was opening his establishment club in Soho in the 60s or 70s, he likened it to the sort of uh, cabaret bars in Berlin that did so much to stop the rise of the Nazis and the Second World War breaking out. And Peter Cook basically felt satire was pointless. It was redundant. It didn't do anything. And I pretty much agree with that. This film didn't really have any satirical bite anyway, but Four Lions did, I think, and Brass Eye certainly did, but I'm not sure they ever actually impact any change. I'm with Cook on that. So I'm not too worried whether we had a great satirist around or not. I just wish it had made me laugh more. Right. What scores would you give this, Darren? Four going in. Yeah, huge fan, really excited. I would then say it was probably a three while I was watching it. You know, it is not without funny lines or or good set pieces at times, and there are some decent performances in it. And actually, in retrospect, I'd go two, which Mm. I would have thought was unthinkable for something that Morris had done. You know, I was so excited to see that he was making a new film, and I just can't believe it's this one. Adam? I think I'm trying to remember my own scores on my review for a little while else, but I think I gave it a five in um, anticipation and then three and three for enjoyment in retrospect. It passes the time. I mean, it's fine. On a lot of technical levels, you can't really complain, but I think just at, at its core, there's just not enough of a of a compelling narrative. And, and it's, yeah, as Darren says, it's not laugh out loud funny enough to really elevate it above those scores. Right, so there you have it. New releases this week, Gemini Man and The Day Shall Come. Up next, we have Film Club. We're going back to Will Smith for his first major film role, Six Degrees of Separation. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Based on the Tony Award-nominated stage play, Six Degrees of Separation stars Stockard Channing and Donald Sutherland as conceited Manhattan art dealers taken in by a con. A young man, played by Will Smith, appears on their doorstep saying he's a friend of their children and the son of Hollywood legend Sidney Poitier. But who is he, really? Let's hear a clip. Well, a substitute teacher out on Long Island was dropped from his job for fighting with a student. A few weeks later, he returned to the classroom, shot the student unsuccessfully <laughs> held the class hostage and then shot himself successfully this fact caught my eye last sentence times a neighbor described the teacher as a nice boy always reading catcher in the rye this nitwit chapman who shot john lennon said he did it because he wanted to draw the attention of the world to catcher in the rye and the reading of this book would be his defense young hinkley the whiz kid who shot Reagan and his press secretary, said, if you want my defense, all you have to do is read Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> a clip from Six Degrees of Separation there. I think almost before we talk about this, we've got to talk about the elephant in the room. This film predicted Hollywood, right? So part of the con that Will Smith's character enacts on these high-class New York types is that his father is creating a film version of Cats. Oh, God, yes. The running joke, which is established fairly early in this, is... And it is hilarious watching it today. How could they ever make a movie out of cats? How would you do it? Why would you do it? Why would you do it? Everyone is in is in agreement that it's just a bad idea. Everyone is in agreement, including Sir Ian McKellen, <laughs> who is in the room, who is going to be in Cats. But also during that long monologue that Will Smith gives, when he talks about what passes for imagination these days, he says, Lord of the Rings, and off camera looks at Ian McKellen. Mm. He yes. also mentions Star Wars and Star Trek. And then later in the film, J.J. Abrams is in it. Yeah. Oh, no. It, it, I, I thought that was Justin Theroux. Is it J.J. Abrams? It's J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, the they they, they do kind of look similar. Oh, that he's very bad in this. I'm, gl- I'm glad he didn't really act much beyond this. <laughs> was this a first watch for you guys? Darren, had you seen this before? I'd seen it before. Mm-hmm. My wife is quite a big fan of this film, so she showed it to me a few years ago. So, yeah, this was a second watch. It's a strange film. It's one of those films where it's quite arch and theatrical. You mm-hmm. could watch it without knowing it was a stage play and immediately recognise the fact that this has been adapted from a play. It has a kind of framing device where you have the sort of central characters telling the story of what's happened to them, which you see on stage constantly, and then it you sort of cuts back and forth between them telling the story and you actually seeing what happened. I've only seen this before as a stage play in the Royal Exchange in Manchester years ago, and I'd heard that this was almost the film that people forget that Will Smith was in before Men in Black and that amazing run he had in the mid-90s. I think he's pretty good here. He's clearly figuring out his on-screen persona, right, Adam? I think this is his best performance. Oh, really? Okay. I mean... you know, given his age and relative greenness in terms of being a, a lead actor, there's no rawness about his performance. Mm-hmm. And he's playing against type a little bit. This isn't just kind of fresh prints in, you know, in Manhattan. He's obviously working out this on-screen persona still. And there are times when he does slip a little bit into fresh prints territory. But I think what he's doing, playing this kind of, yeah, this con artist with a double life or, or, or sort of hidden identity that we never really fully discover mm-hmm. which I think is one of the fascinating things about this film is this question of like who is he I mean it's never really resolved no. he, he just is dropped into this film as the complete star package for me I mean he's acting alongside Donald Sutherland and Ian McKellen and 
and he's in the film for, for quite a bit of it but he completely steals the show for me I think this is like for a young actor coming through I can't think of another performance with quite the same impact mm-hmm. and, and admittedly this is the first time I'd seen the film. I'm not sure what the response was at the time. Well, the focus was completely on Stockard Channing, who had pioneered that performance on on and off Broadway, yeah. and didn't didn't win the Tony Award, but was nominated and was nominated for an Oscar for that performance. So I think it was very much the two white leads that, uh, were, that had the focus. And I think actually, to be fair, everyone is really good in this. Yeah. But Apart watching him, McKellen's accent is a bit. <laughs> odd. Yeah, he's, uh, until they say, "Oh, he's South African," <laughs> I had no idea who, what he was supposed to be. Um, but yeah, I think Will Smith in this. I mean, I think his performance has probably aged the best. Mm-hmm. And when you when you watch it now, knowing everything that he's kind of done since, and also you know, okay, he had that amazing run in the nineties and early noughties when he became known, self appointed nickname of Mister Box Office, <laughs> which is my, one of my favourite uh, <laughs> anecdotes about any uh, Hollywood A lister. But you know, it feels like that was a long time ago, and to see him even predating that doing something you know this big and, and commanding and, and assured it's mm-hmm. just really quite yeah I was quite exhilarated watching this actually yeah I mean I actually I did think that Stockard Channing was also sensational mm-hmm. I think that performance has also aged well and I think it's interesting because I think probably you know hopefully it won't be for a while but I suspect the first lines of her obituary will be about Greece and about the West Wing and here is a performance that's right in the middle of those two almost smack bang in the middle and I think it's like a very sad performance and she's really really good and has a lot to do in it yeah it holds up well I think we spoke about political satire with The Day Shall Come this is much more a social satire and all of the contemporary reviews talk about how lacerating it is to a certain class of Manhattan uh, social society I mean, maybe that was intended. Mm-hmm. I wonder if at the time that would have come through as much. Perhaps it's more embedded in the play. Mm-hmm. I suspect that may have been lost on a lot of people at the time viewing this. But really? now it definitely has taken mm-hmm. on that. And, and actually, I think what it's doing works on so many levels. And mm-hmm. just the emotion of the storytelling, I think it doesn't really hit home until almost like the last scene of the film. But when it does, it's suddenly like a train. You just, yeah, I was totally left dumbfounded by the ending. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And I thought it's quite entertaining that you know the central to the kind of lie that we assume that that Smith's character is telling is that he is supposedly the son of Sidney Poitier which is the absolute perfect choice to get into these sort of you know well-meaning rich white people's mm-hmm. lives yeah. and apparently when Poitier first met Will Smith said well you're certainly handsome enough to be <laughs> brilliant it made me think of Get Out actually that whole series. yes the line of uh, I would have voted for Obama a third time yeah. it seems like Sidney Poitier played that role in uh, a certain white white society there there's a respectable face for certain urbanites mm. so this this film quite late in the in the story sets up this gay subplot and it has this fascinating shot where it's a kiss but it's not a kiss and yeah, you always put scare quotes around it, Adam. I, I put scare quotes. It's a bit of a backstory to this: is that it was scripted that they were going to kiss. So mm-hmm. it's, it's Will Smith and Anthony Michael Hall. Um, well, I think one of his kind of early performances as well. Will Smith apparently pretty close to actually the, the day they were going to shoot the scene had decided. He, I think he'd consulted with Denzel Washington or someone who'd wow. said at this stage in your career, if you do a, a, a gay kiss on screen, it's going to damage your brand or your image. And Will Smith has since said he actually really re- regrets not right. do, not going through with it. And actually, and I think it is one of the few really obvious down points and negatives of the film. It does feel like there should be that moment of, of connection that you just don't get because of the way it's fudged slightly with the kind of camera work. It's a real shame that it wasn't actually um, filmed as it was intended because mm. I think you, you do lose something from the character. Yeah. So, Adam, you said that you think this is Will Smith at his best. Darren, would you agree, or do you think that he would go on to better things, do different things? I think that Will Smith is such a sort of extraordinary movie star, more than anything else. He's one of these people where there's such a persona that it's almost not about the films. Mm. It's like, I think there was possibly once, even on this podcast, a discussion about Jeff Goldblum, and there was sort of this, you know, belief that he hasn't actually done all that many great films. Uh, I would say The Fly is a great film, Mm. but I think, possibly, I mean, to bring Goldblum into it, I think Independence Day is probably the peak of Smith's powers. That, right. for me, would be, I think, the best film he's ever done and his best performance. I think if we're talking blockbuster, that and um, First Men in Black film. And the second one is, people don't really like it as much, but I think that's got some good... Uh, well, certainly his performance is good in it. I don't think he re- reached these 
these peaks again dramatically. Possibly um, Ali mm. is very good and well, very actually, underrated, I think. Now you mentioned that this is the third Will Smith oh, yeah, uh, yeah. film club because we did Ali and we did Men in Black. I've probably mm. done another one somewhere. But, you know, he's, he's tried to make similar films to Six Degrees of Separation again and, and they've turned out to be things like Seven Pounds and... Bag of Vance. Yes. Is he in that... Um, Winter's Tale or New York Winter's Tale or are, you th- are you thinking of oh, no what am I thinking of oh, wait 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 he's in another collateral bre- beauty oh possibly that but he's in another really bad kind of New York movie that's set around Christmas and, I think yeah. if we have to do another Will Smith uh, film club can we do Hancock I'd no. quite like to revisit that no <laughs> you, you're vetoing it on air <laughs> Hancock is, is very bad <laughs> Hancock is like I mean it's like similar to Joker in the sense that it's it's supposed to be this radical superhero origin movie that just goes nowhere. I mean, it's like the stupidest film ever. What would you do if we had to do another film club, Will Smith? Oh, um, would it have to be Wild Wild West. Yeah, I've probably I've seen Wild Wild West quite a few times. I think it was one of those films that was always shown repeats late night on you know television or something. But I'm not sure there's much mileage in that. Is there? It's a bit, <laughs> that's not aged well. I, I yeah. We so we've done the original Men in Black. Oh, we did Independence Day, we possibly. Have, have we done Independence Day? We've done Men in Black, definitely. Well, I think li- if listeners want to s- send us some Smith recommendations... Top five Will Smith films, maybe. Yeah. We can see, uh, see I'd lo- what we I'd love do. to hear it. I'd, lo- I'd be fascinated to hear, because you think of the obvious Mr. Box Office ones and maybe not so much the Bag of Answers and the Alleys, but mm-hmm. I think there's a few gems maybe, you know, sprinkled in there. So my blind spot for Will Smith is I've never seen Bad Boys. Oh, how have we forgotten Bad Boys? Of course, they're doing Dad Boys. Dad Boys for life. Yeah. Well, uh, if you do watch Six Degrees of Separation, uh, listeners, let us know what you think at Truth and Movies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at tcolondon.com uh, via email or at com slash podcast. So, next week, talking of sequels, Adam, we have Zombieland 2 Double Tap. Any excitement for that? I mean, it's coming out, and <laughs> I've, I've not seen any advertised marketing for it. There's been no press screenings, to my knowledge, yet. I just imagine it's been tough to get the billboards, really. Be- well, yeah, thinking possibly. of what's come out in the last few weeks. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, billboard hogging going mm-hmm. on, especially around the LFF. But yeah, th- maybe not the best sign that it's sort of 10 years after the first one came out, and there's been very little fanfare or, or, or anything really What I find one. fascinating about the marketing for that film is that it's from the same creative team, same writers, same directors, but they've since gone on and done other things. Things. So it's billed as from the people who brought you Deadpool. Yes. <laughs> Please come and see our movie. Yeah. And then for the other new release and film club, we have an Olivia Assayas double bill. We have his new film Nonfiction and his 1996 classic Irma Vep, which I haven't seen. I'm a bit of an Assayas uh, newbie. It's one of his one of his really good early ones. Mm-hmm. Nonfiction I watched on a plane recently. Couldn't believe it was on there. You know, pre-release. I don't know how they got hold of it. I remember non-fiction causing quite a bit of confusion. Was it at Venice or it was Cannes? Venice, yeah. Where it was just listed as non-fiction and people thought it was a documentary. I, yes, I did that. I, I think <laughs> I was the one making notes in the programme and you, and you said, no, that's an actual film. So. <laughs> it's an actual film and we will actually discuss it next week. But Adam, Darren, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about new releases and six degrees of separation. I'm Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a Seven Digital production. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.